lot of truth in that song. I do appreciate that. If you're going to run, there's no better place to run than to run to Jesus. And as that song said, there certainly is no time to waste. I want to ask you if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter number 7. And if you also would have your hymn book ready and handy in just a moment, we'll uh, use that as part of our message here at the beginning. Uh, But before we get to that, I do want to say I do appreciate your pastor uh, giving me the opportunity to preach tonight and for our family to be with you. It's not an opportunity that we take lightly or take for granted. And I hope and pray that we can be a blessing to you, an encouragement to you, and also a challenge uh, to you as we study the Word of God together. Uh, But I do appreciate him. I appreciate uh, his family. I appreciate uh, my pastor, Pastor Matt Harrell, uh, for allowing me to come and do this tonight, to step away from uh, the duties there for a day and to come and be with you. Uh, But I appreciate uh, the friendship of your pastor. As he's already said, we met back in Bible college. And I was thinking about that on the way up here in in the last few weeks. You know, those years are further and further away. Uh, I was thinking about my wife. We met in college. We met at the camp, really, that the college put on. And that's been 10 years ago now. We've known each other for a decade. And some of you, that may not seem like a long time, but for me, man, that seems like uh, not an eternity. You don't feel that way, but it's, time has flown quickly. Uh, people start talking about the 2000s. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that wasn't too long ago. They're like, that's old. It's like, that's, you're exactly right. I work with young people, and most of them uh, were not born you know, when I was you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. We talk about events. They're like, I don't remember that. It's the story. It's right. You weren't alive. I forget about that. And so those years are getting further and further away. But uh, I knew uh, when Josh, uh, Pastor Farmer, came uh, that there was just something different about him. And as we watched uh, him, he was a year behind me in college. As I watched him go through college, uh, you could certainly tell uh, that the Lord had his hand on his life. And I'm not surprised in any way of what God is doing here through him and his family. And I appreciate uh, that ministry. And I appreciate what your church did a couple of weeks ago for our young people. I, I hate that we couldn't bring more than we did, uh, but the ones that came got a blessing. And uh, we're getting ready to have a youth rally here in a few weeks. I understand the first time that you ever do anything, uh, you wonder how it's going to go, you pray about it, you prepare, and, and you just let the Lord work. And it was great to see the Lord working uh, in the hearts of young people. I'll tell you this, one thing I've learned any time that you choose to take time and spend money to invest in the next generation, it's an investment well spent. And uh, we need more of that. That's why we're having our rally here in, a few, in, in about a week. Uh, we need another generation. I'm grateful uh, to see those young people up here singing. Uh, I'm grateful to see the young lady playing the piano. Uh, I remember when I was 12 years old, my mom and dad drug up me and my brothers and sisters up in front of the church to sing. And we wondered, why in the world are we doing this? And now I see why. And I'm grateful for that. They were teaching us as kids, you don't have to wait till you're old and gray-headed uh, to serve the Lord. You serve the Lord now. Now is the time uh, to serve the Lord and, and to give your life to Him. And so I appreciate the young people serving tonight. And uh, it was a blessing to me. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to continue uh, to do that. But First Samuel chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 tonight. Uh, the Bible says, And the men of kerjath Jerem came, and fetched up the ark of the Lord, and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in kerjath jerim that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts, um, and prepare your hearts 
unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Uh, several weeks ago, probably a month and a half ago now, I was reading through the book of 1 Samuel in my devotions, and I noticed this name, Ebenezer. And I got to thinking, you know, where, where, does this, where do we find this place, Ebenezer, in the Bible? And the truth of the matter is it's only found here in 1 Samuel. And I'd like to preach on that thought as I begin to look at it and study it. The Lord began to speak to my heart. I want to share some things with you tonight uh, that the Lord has dealt with me about on this place called Ebenezer. And I'd like to preach on this thought tonight on raising your Ebenezer. On raising your Ebenezer. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to be able to preach your word tonight, to be able to gather, Lord, with your people here in Clarksville, Tennessee. And I pray as we gather together, Lord, that you would give me the words to say, that you would fill me with the power of your Spirit, but Lord, that you would do the preaching through your Spirit to our hearts through the preaching of your Word. Draw us all closer to yourself tonight. I pray that, Lord, as we leave here, uh, that we would leave praising your name, uh, knowing that, Lord, you are our help, as we'll see in this passage of Scripture. That, Lord, if we'll run to you, as we heard in the song already tonight, Lord, that we can run to you any time, any place, anywhere, and now is the time to be running to you as your people. I pray that you'd bless the time here in your word. May you bless our time after the service as well as we leave here tonight. Lord, may we be able to say that, Lord, we were glad that we went to the house of the Lord this evening. And I pray that you'd receive all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I think about this passage of Scripture and think about what the Lord's done in my heart and life over the last ten years, you know, one thing I want to challenge you as God's people tonight is we I've heard all my life that you need to read the Bible, you need to read the Bible, you need to have a personal time, a daily time where you read the Bible. And I certainly tonight would uh, amen that, I would, I would preach that and I would say that. But I want to challenge you, not only read your Bible, but take time to study God's Word. How many of you have done like me? I've read my Bible. I wonder what that's about. I wonder where this is. All oh, that's neat. I, and I just move on and never go back and study. What, what was God saying there? And I wonder how much I've missed in my life because I was too busy or just didn't take the time to study the Word of God. 
And what I've been trying to do over the last year is kind of slow down just a little bit. And as God points things out in His Word, to go back and get some answers to those questions that I have. And one thing that that has really unlocked the Bible for me in the last 10 years is understanding the history of the Word of God. Understanding the context that we find these verses and these chapters in. And so I want to walk you through just a little bit of the context that we find ourselves here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Obviously, 1 Samuel begins with Samuel being born and what a miraculous birth it was as his mother, Hannah, said, For this child I prayed. And she said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And God did, and she did what she said she would do, and she gave him to Eli the priest. And there he was raised in the home of Eli. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, you find God coming to Samuel and speaking to him, crying, Samuel, Samuel. And and he said, Here I am, Lord, thy servant here, speak to me. And God shows Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3 uh, what he's going to do in the nation of Israel. He shows him that because of the wickedness of the priest who was Eli at that time, that God was going to take his hand off of that family and give Samuel the responsibility of leading uh, the nation of Israel. And God does that in chapter 4. In chapter 4, we find the nation of Israel uh, going to battle with the Philistines. Uh, go, with the, go, go back to that chapter. Just I'll let you see these verses uh, for, uh, right before your eyes instead of quoting them to you or, or summarizing. But look in verse 1 of chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. We'll, mention, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek, and the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Here they had gone to battle. Now during this time, Eli had kind of turned a blind eye to the wickedness of his sons. His sons were committing uh, horrible wickedness there in the, at the uh, tabernacle. Uh, they were in immorality. They were not offering the sacrifices like God had commanded them. They were in stark uh, disobedience to God's commands and what God required of His servants. And so the nation of Israel had really turned a blind eye to this sin, this wickedness. This time period is also the period of the end of the period of Judges, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes, a time of apostasy and a time of anarchy. And so they go to battle with the Philistines, they're defeated, and they say, oh, hold on a second, let's step back here. Why? Why didn't the Lord give us victory? And notice what they come up with in verse 3. They said, oh, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. They say, wait a minute, we didn't go to battle with the Ark of the Covenant. That's what's wrong. Let's go back, let's get the Ark of the Covenant, let's bring it to battle, and God will give us victory. Well, if you study what the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is a picture, a symbol of God's power and of God's presence. But it was not God's power and it was not God's presence. And what they're doing here is they're looking at the Ark of the Covenant in some type of superstition, some type of ritual, some type of religious practice. And as you read through this passage, what you'll find is they go back to battle, they are defeated, Hophni and Phinehas are killed, and the Ark of the Covenant is taken. There's defeat 
in the nation of Israel. Why? Because rather than looking to God and God alone for the power and the strength to deliver them, they were going through the motions of following Him. Oh, we need, we need that Ark of the Covenant. And today I wonder how many Christians have found themselves in that same trap. Yes, I'm in church. You're here on a Thursday night. Yes, I'm in church faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'm in Sunday school. I sing uh, special music or I'm, I'm going to join the choir once we get it started back up. And I do all these things, but we do them because that's just what we do. Rather than doing them because we are genuinely following God and allowing Him to lead our lives each and every day. As the Hophni and Phinehas were killed, the Ark of the Covenant was taken. News is brought back to Eli and Eli after hearing the news, falls down dead. God had fulfilled what He had told Samuel He would do. And then we find in chapter 4 at the end of it, the news that her husband had died, Phineas's wife, uh, goes into labor and she brings forth a son. And if you would look with me at the end of chapter 4, verse 21, it says, she named the child Ichabod. What a name, right? But that name means this, the glory is departed from Israel. In this instance, she means the glory of God is departed from Israel. The truth of the matter is, God's glory, God's favor had already long departed. Now they were just seeing the results of that. And so at the end of chapter 4, we find Ichabod in Israel. God's glory has departed. Why? Because Not because God doesn't have glory, not because God doesn't have power, but because God's people had departed from Him. And Ichabod is raised. Uh, The next few chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's a lot of interesting things that happen there. I would encourage you to go back and read them. Uh, One instance is the Ark of the Covenant is taken into the uh, the god Dagon, the Philistines' false god, and they come in the next day and they find the the, the false idol uh, fallen face forward there before the Ark of the Covenant and it's broken in pieces. God is showing Himself mighty to the Philistines. The Philistines in the city where the Ark of the Covenant was, they're struck down with disease. It got so bad that the Philistines said, get this thing out of here, let's send it back. And the Ark of the Covenant wound up at a place called Kerjath-Jerim, which we find in chapter 7, verse number 1. And for 20 years, there it would lie. And when we come to chapter 7, verse number 12, when we come to the raising of Ebenezer... 20 years have taken place. Now, I told you we'd come back to it. Go back to chapter 4, verse number 1. You say, well, hold on hold on a minute, Pastor, uh, Brother Brown. You're, you're talking about uh, Ebenezer here in chapter 7. We've already seen that place in chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, now Israel went to battle beside Ebenezer. This battlefield where they were defeated, at that present time it wasn't known as Ebenezer. The writing of this book is looking back on these events. It would become known as Ebenezer because of what happens in chapter 7. But on this same battlefield of defeat in chapter 4, verse number 1, 20 years later, we see God delivering Israel... We see God doing it in a miraculous way. He sent a thunder down upon them, discomfited the Philistines, and spread them out, weakened them so that Israel could defeat them. And we see Samuel erecting an altar, a place called Ebenezer, as a memorial. Why? Why did he call it that? Look in verse 12 of chapter 7. It says, Because hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Ebenezer was a memorial, a stone that was raised up for not only Israel to see, but for all to see that God did hear what only God could do. 
and God receive the glory. And I ask you to have your hymn book ready. If you would, turn to hymn number 26. This is by far one of my favorite hymns that we sing. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. It's a plea to God. Would you come? Would you tune my heart to sing your praise? Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. But it goes on to the second verse. It says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come, and I know by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Listen, the fact that I stand here before you tonight is not a testament to the fact that I've been in church almost every week of my life, actually every week of my life ever since I, came, ever since I was born. I tell that to our teenagers teenagers all the time. That's not to brag or boast. I don't remember a single week in my life where we went in church at least once. And I thank God for it. But that's not the reason that I stand here before you tonight. I'm not able to stand here before you tonight because I received a Christian education. I was homeschooled all the way through. Any homeschoolers here tonight? I thought I sensed a few weird ones here. We we, we relate, right? I'm just kidding. But I was homeschooled. I was taught the Bible day in, day out. I went to Bible college, but that's not the reason that I stand here before you tonight. Me standing here before you is an Ebenezer. It's because of what God has done in my life. And I believe you would say the same thing tonight. And when we come together, we're raising our Ebenezer. We're here, God, to meet with you. And we're here only because of what you have done and what you're going to do in our life. But as we look at this raising of Ebenezer. There's several things tonight that I just want to point out very quickly in the time that we have together. Number one, I want you to notice the situation surrounding Ebenezer. The situation surrounding Ebenezer. Here in verse number 5, the Bible says, And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel. And notice there they, they, they repent. They say, We have sinned against the Lord. The first thing that we see in this situation surrounding Ebenezer is that there was a past failure. I remind you, 20 years prior to this event, to this occurrence here in chapter 7, Israel had stood on the battlefield of defeat. Hophni and Phinehas were slain. The Ark of the Covenant was taken. They said, Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. There was past failure. And that's what brought them to this place where they erect this altar and say, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And I want to say this tonight, church. There will always be failure when we don't look to God to guide us and to give us the strength and the direction that we need to move forward. As I look back over my life, I can look back at the times where there was Ebenezer. I think back to the time when I was 19 years old. And I, was, I had tried several jobs. I had said I was never going to go to college. I, I had no interest in serving the Lord in the capacity as far as full-time service. And, and I was doing what I wanted to do. I was making good money and had a, had a good future in the job that I had. But I remember going to work day in, day out saying, this is not what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And I'm tired of trying to figure it out. God, here you go. You have it. You show me and I'll do it. And I said, I surrender to whatever you have me to do. And God showed me what He hadn't planned for me. That's a moment of Ebenezer. I think back to the moment when I was 26 years old and we stood in the hospital with Abigail, our little girl there, and they told us that she may not make it through the night the first day that she was born, brought into this world. 
For the next two or three days, we battled and wondered. We prayed and labored. Lord, would you spare our child? And we watched as she lay there, not able to hold her, not able uh, to hardly even touch her. And a hypothermic state they kept her in to prevent any damage that there could possibly be. And then they began to say, oh, she's going to recover. and She's probably going to live, but we don't know what she'll be able to do. We don't know how she'll be able to be. We don't know if she'll be able to talk or have any mental capacity. And this just about a week ago, she started kindergarten, her first day of kindergarten. And she's got just a few mobility issues, nothing major. That's an, that's an Ebenezer. That's what God did. And I think about the times in my life where God has showed me His power. But then I also think back to the times where God wanted to show me His power. But because I thought I could handle the situation, or because I thought I knew better than God, because I took matters into my own hands, it resulted in Ichabod. The glory of God has departed in this matter. Rather than Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. There will always be failure when we don't look to God to guide and to provide. They were here because of a past failure, but they are also here because of a present fear. Notice in verse number 7. Samuel has called them together. They're there to uh, erect an altar. They're there to worship God. But it says, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. The Philistines heard that they were gathering together. And they saw, hey, here's an opportunity. Maybe they thought Israel was gathering together for war. Maybe they just saw, hey, here's an opportunity. They're there. Let's go attack them and let's, let's wreak havoc on them once again. And Israel sees the Philistines coming up against them and they say, we need God's help. There was a present fear. And I'll tell you tonight, I'm not going to sugarcoat it or lie to you. If you step out to give God the glory, if you step out to do a work for God, there will be attacks in your life. We do have an adversary who walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The situation surrounding this Ebenezer was they had a past failure, but they also had a present fear. They were uh, facing a present difficulty. And opposition is always an opportunity for God to get glory. Adversity is always a chance to advance the work of God, but only if we'll look to Him to deliver us and to meet the need in that present moment. I think about the hymns that we sing, He is able to deliver thee, He is able to deliver thee, Oh, by sin oppressed, come to Him for rest, for my God is able to deliver thee. Only trust Him. It says, come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give thee rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him. He will save thee now. How do we know that? How can I stand here and say, yes, I know that to be true because I look back down my life and I see Ebenezer after Ebenezer after Ebenezer where when I've trusted God, He's always come through. And there was a situation surrounding this Ebenezer. Not only was there a situation surrounding Ebenezer, there also uh, was, number two, the consecration leading to Ebenezer. Look in verse number three, if you would. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. 
Not only was there a situation, here we come to the consecration. And I want you to notice the condition that they must meet in this consecration. It says here in verse number 3, if. If you're in the habit of underlining or circling things in your Bible, I would encourage you, circle that word, if. It's a conditional statement. Samuel is saying, if you will surrender your hearts to the Lord. If ye do return to the Lord. It says, if you do give your heart, all your heart to the Lord. If, it goes on to say at the end of that verse, if you prepare your hearts, that word prepare uh, means to be fixed or to establish. If you'll fix your heart on the Lord, if you'll establish it, then He will deliver you. But that's a big if. If you will look to Him. But not only is there a condition that they must meet, also, secondly, we see under this point, there was the complete surrender that they must offer. Not only do we see the if, another word I want to point out in this, in this passage is the word all. He said, return, if you do return unto the Lord, with what? With all your heart. Not part of your heart, not most of your heart, not the vast majority of your heart, but if you will return to the Lord with all your heart. In other words, if you'll wholly, completely, unattached to anything else, if you will return to God, I promise you people, He will deliver you. I was listening to a preacher preach the other day. He made this statement, if He's not God of all, then He cannot be God at all. You know, a lot of times we like to lay out our lives in little boxes. We compartmentalize the areas of our life and we say, God, you can have this box and this box and this box and this box, but that box right there, God, I really want to hold on to all that. And this box right here, Lord, you can have part of that, but I want to hold on to just a little bit of that. I'm giving you most of my life. You can have the vast majority. You can have the most of my time, the majority of my heart, but Lord, I want to hold on to just a little bit. If He's not God of all, He's not God at all. God doesn't desire tonight to be one of our priorities or or one of our loves. He desires to be the one and the only. Colossians 1.18 still says that in all things, He is to have the preeminence. He is to be the first and only priority of our life. In college, I was introduced to the life of a young man. Some of you may be be familiar with him. I know your pastor is. William Borden of Yale. He was a young man who came from a wealthy family, stood to inherit millions of dollars as a young man, but the Lord got a hold of his heart and he surrendered his life to be a missionary. One of his friends commented to him when he made that decision, he said, you're throwing your life away. But rather than take over and take part of the family business and inherit his money, he set sail overseas to Egypt to begin study the language he would need to be a missionary. And while he was there, at the age of 25, he contracted meningitis and he died. Some would say, what a wasted life, but there were thousands all across this country at that time that knew of his story, knew what he had done, who mourned his death. And he inspired many young people to give their lives to missions because of what he had done. And to this day, his biography and his story is still inspiring people to give their life to the Lord. They found in his journal after he died, he had wrote these three statements. He said, no reserve. Though he had given away millions of dollars, he said, I have no reserve in doing that. He said, no retreat. He could always go back and have it. He said, I'm not going to turn around. I'm not going to turn back. And he said, there is no regret. And on his tombstone, buried far away from his family overseas, there was this statement, apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life.
Friends, that's Ebenezer. That's raising that stone. God is getting the glory for what He's doing in my life. As I think about your statement, that word given, that's a life that's given to God. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. God desires to still have all of our life, not most of it. You say, but, but preacher, if I've given him most of it, wouldn't that suffice? A study several years ago came up with this. If 99.9% was enough, 2 million documents would be lost by the IRS. 12 babies would be given to the wrong parents. 291 pacemaker operations would be performed incorrectly. 20,000 prescriptions would be written incorrectly. And 114,500 mismatched shoes would be shipped to department stores if 99.9% were enough. If He's not God of all, He's not God at all. And He deserves, by the way, He deserves our all. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is what? Outrageous, right? Uh, inconceivable. That's ludicrous, right? That's lunacy. No, it's your reasonable service. Why? Because He gave His all when He hung on the cross for our sins. And He's asked for no less in return. If He's not God of all, He's not God at all. There was a consecration. They had to give their all to God if they wanted to see Him deliver. But then thirdly, we see the restoration providing in Ebenezer. In verse number, uh, we won't take time to read all the verses tonight, but in verse number 10 it says, And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before the people. First of all, we see the dedication of the people. They had tasted of life, lived without dependence on God. It was bitter to them. It led to defeat. It led to discouragement. It led to frustration and fear. They had tasted of that life. They had seen the cycle that had happened in the period of Judges where they would repent and then they would, uh, they would be given peace and then they would rebel and then they would be oppressed and, and then they would re- repeat, uh, repeat that process again where they would repent and God would restore and it happened seven times in the period of Judges. They had seen all of that. And finally they had had enough and they said, Lord, we dedicate our lives to you. And what do they see? They see the deliverance of God in a mighty way. It said he thundered upon them, he discomfited them, and God delivered them. If we want God's power, then there must be penitence. There must be a time where we fall on our face before God and we say, Lord, only you can do what, you need, what needs to be done in this situation. I don't know about you, my personality is we're going to work hard to get it accomplished. And I believe the ministry requires hard work, don't get me wrong, but it's not hard work and hard work alone. We have to come to the point where we depend on God because only God can do what needs to be done. And if we as a Christian, if we as Christian homes, if we as a church are going to stand as a memorial to this world, hey, this is what the Lord is doing. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. It's going to only happen if we're completely reliant Upon Him, if we're completely given to Him. And then the fourth thing we see here tonight, the commemoration that resulted in Ebenezer. Verse 11, we see Israel pursuing the Philistines and smiting them. Victory has been won. God has delivered His people. And Samuel realizes there must be a time of commemoration. So he calls all the people back together. Hey, let's just not rejoice in the victory that's God, that God has given us. Let's record this victory. 
Let's set up a stone. Let's raise a memorial. And we're going to name this place Ebenezer. Why? Because hitherto hath the Lord helped us. No longer was there Ichabod in the land. No longer was the glory of God departed. Here God has wrought a great victory. And the hitherto the Lord hath helped us. Let's memorialize this moment. And he brings them all back together. And on this uh, battlefield of past failure, God had given them present victory. Uh, One author said this, Ebenezer was not a remembrance of Israel's prowess, but of Jehovah's timely help. It wasn't just a historical record in the annals of the history of Israel, how we defeated the Philistines. No, it was a spiritual record of how God came through on behalf of His people. Another author said this, If ever the people's hearts should lose the impressions of this providence, this stone would either revive the remembrance of it and make them thankful, or it would remain a standing witness against them for their unthankfulness. You know what you need as a church in in each other's lives? You know what this side of the church needs from this side of the church? Ebenezer's. Because when this side of the church is going through difficult times, they need to be reminded of how God's delivered you. And vice versa. You know what this this city and what this state needs is, is this church here and our church in Athens to be an Ebenezer. Hey, here's what the Lord has done in our lives. Oh, I wish some of you will be there in a few weeks and you'll see when you come, you'll see one of the finest buildings I've ever had the privilege of working in. And I don't say that because we worked hard and that we labored to get that. Now, there was a lot of that, but the reason we have what we have is because about three years before I came, a tornado tore everything to pieces. Completely destroyed and for three years trying to rebuild and moving from building to building uh, until they could get back home to where they wanted to be. And now it's a fine place that God is using. But God did that. People say all the time, how did you get that? Say a tornado. (laughs) I don't recommend going that route. (laughs) We got in on the end of it. I can only imagine going through all of it. But God did that. God did that. And so that's a testimony our church has to help other churches. Guess what? Last year, during this tornado season, a church down in Chattanooga, about an hour from us, was destroyed. We were able to lend them some financial aid and also tell them, hey, listen, our church has been through that. This is what God did. We're praying He'll do the same for you. To be able to encourage one another, we need to erect the memorials of God's glory when God has helped us. We need to make more of Jesus. We need to speak more of the time. I mean, there's a lot going on in this world that's not pleasant. There's a lot that's gone on in the last year and a half that we never would have even thought or, or considered would ever happen in our lifetime. And if we're not careful, we get frustrated and we get discouraged and we get fearful. But let's go back and think about the memorials in our life where God has come through. Guess what? He's still the same God. I get out and play basketball with our young men and I'm reminded of what I used to be, which wasn't much, but it was more than I am now. But God hasn't waxed any weaker. As a matter, He's just as strong today as He has always been. And He always will be. If He's done it once, He can do it again. If we'll just look to him. The world needs to see some Ebenezer's, some memorials erected. This is what God is doing, what God has done, and may God be praised for it all. So as we conclude tonight, I want to ask you to consider the contrast between the two words that we've looked at tonight. Ichabod, the glory of God is departed. Why? Not because God had waxed weak, because they failed to look to him. 
or Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Why? Because they gave their all to Him. They gave it all to Him. They laid it all out and God came through and God gave them the victory. A reminder of what God can do when we're completely yielded to Him. And unfortunately tonight, too many churches have become Ichabods around the world. Why? Because they've gotten their focus off of God. They're more concerned about entertaining than proclaiming. They're more concerned and focused on holding preferences than preaching God's Word. They're not concerned anymore about converting the sinners. They're concerned about what they're able to put on and and to do. All, uh, All across the country today, there are Christian homes who have become Ichabods rather than Ebenezer's. Where there should be love, there's fear and there's anger and there's hate and there's malice. Why? Because they've gotten their eyes off God. And I've sat in, in, uh, across the desk from people over the years who had a desire somewhere in their heart that they wanted to serve the Lord, but they wouldn't let Him have it all. And that resulted in misery and defeat, and some never recovered from it. We need our homes to be Ebenezer's. How does that happen? By each and every individual erecting that stone, saying, Hither by the Lord has helped me. May we be an Ebenezer. No matter your situation tonight, If there is consecration, it will lead to restoration and it should always result in commemoration of what God has done. We need to raise our Ebenezer tonight. Would you bow with me this evening? Would you stand, heads bowed, eyes closed all around? I'm going to ask the pianist if she would come and just begin to play as soon as she's ready, a song of invitation. I hope and pray that this message, I know it's a little bit of a unique passage, But I hope and pray that the Lord made sense of it all in our hearts tonight. But as she begins to play, I want to ask, maybe there's somebody here tonight, and and I don't know many of you very well. I don't know what God's doing in your heart and life, but maybe there's somebody here tonight that's going through a difficult time. It may be something that no one else knows about. And you need the Lord to intervene. I want to encourage you tonight in just a moment after we pray to come find a place on this altar and raise your Ebenezer. Maybe you're here tonight and and you say, Lord, you know, you've spoken to me, you've encouraged me. I just want our church to continue to be that Ebenezer. I've seen what God's doing through your church and it's great, but it needs to continue. Maybe you're here tonight and you know there's somebody that's struggling in your home or, or in your family or in your work and they need to see in your life or hear from you the testimony of what God has done and you've never shared that tonight. I want to encourage you, find a place here on the altar in just a moment and ask God to give you the boldness to share about the times where He's come through, to give Him the glory for it all. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. If the Lord's spoken to your heart, I want to encourage you after I finish praying to find a place on this altar tonight. And you speak to God we've spoken about to you. Father, I thank you for our time together here. I pray that this message, Lord, would be real in my life. That, Lord, I would look to you And that, Lord, I would give you the glory and the praise, the commemoration for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in my life. Help each and every one of us as your people tonight, Lord, to go out in this world, places you've given us, the place of influence, Lord, and to be that memorial that, Lord, you've not lost your power, you've not lost your glory, you're still able to deliver your people and to deliver this world from sin if they'll just simply look to you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to preach tonight. I pray your will be done in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. I'll turn over to your pastor.